The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm, Chapter 11 The Elf Treya stood over the hunter, crossbow in hand, positioned defiantly over his fallen corpse. All around her were strewn the bodies of the fallen, ally and goblin alike, and behind her hung the crystal, spinning silently now in the air, devoid of color, ghostly, hollow. Treya lowered her weapon as the others were at last released from combat. In front of her, Kailana lowered her shield, falling in exhaustion to her hands and knees. Treya turned her head to the right, where the dwarf and his friends had slain the warrior. Nearby, two of the sword maidens had gone to their sister, shouting and desperately trying to revive her. Without expression, Treya regarded the girl, Kana, who was bleeding badly from the wound where the spear had penetrated her. Kana's eyes and her mouth were wide, as if in shock, though the elf knew she was no longer conscious of the world. Treya lowered her weapon and walked away, leaving the aftermath to the others. She crouched beside one of the hex blades and went to work evaluating the contents of his backpack. Some bones, some teeth, a book. As she turned the pages absently, she recalled the last time the hunter came, for that had been the end of her freedom, of her life among the elves. There had been an ambush, a battle. The goblins offered chains to the survivors, but the elves outright refused. They were outnumbered. They were killed. Treya remembered her father, hoisted by his throat, high in the air by the hunter, begging in the end, begging for mercy. (coughs) She had been so ashamed of him for not being strong. But it had given the elf girl time to escape into the tunnels, into the caves. Yet it had been only a short reprieve. The hunter came to claim her. When he at last caught her, dragging her from a crack in the wall, the rest of the goblins <laughs> laughed and jeered. Though the rest of her family had been slain, she was spared, not for any sense of mercy, but as a final prize from the hunt, a gift for the king of their tribe. She was a token, used by the hunter to gain the favor of his lord. She remained enslaved for many years, wondering if her escape could ever come. When the old king died, she was passed to the next. As an elf, she was long-lived in captivity. This was a curse, and many times she had wanted it to end. She had wanted to give up. But the memory of her father fueled her defiance. She would never give up. There are some things that she would never allow them to take from her. Not 
ever. The hunter was dead now, and as Treya leafed through the black book that she had found, she wondered if she should be feeling glad or relieved or victorious. She didn't. It was war, and it was horror. Yet the goblins had failed to recapture her. No, she wasn't ever going back. Not ever again. But in that moment, even as the silence had returned to the chamber, a remembrance of her father came to her again, pleading and begging in the face of his ending. She resolved that she would never become what her father had become, and yet now, with the long-feared threat laid low, Treya no longer felt shame for her father. In its place, there was something deep, something heavy. Anger. Welling up from within her. Anger. Discreetly, she closed her eyes, acknowledging it, for it was so very strong, and she knew that it was now her burden to carry it. Yet if it was the hunter, or herself, or if it was her father who was the object of her rage, she could not say, or her new tribe, for they could never be what she had lost. This is Abel Enzo. And I welcome you, Travelers of the Maze. Though the tribes have defeated their greatest foe yet, tonight you will witness a great turning point in the adventure, for three quarters of the group have been badly wounded in the goblin attack. Kana and Temek lie close to death even in a location that the group considered safe, they discovered sadly that they were far from this. To return to full strength, the group will need a week or more, for time is the only thing that may now heal their wounds. Yet with danger on all sides, and with water and food running low, it may yet be a slim hope that they might yet survive. Here in the last realm, might the group find a way to stay hidden and recover? Or instead, will it become clear that despite the illusion of victory against the hunter, that his claws reach out to claim them, even from the coldness of death? Iron Personas Tonight's in-depth persona is given for the group's fallen halfling, Temek. Temek is a male halfling, level 1. His skin is a light brown. He is age 24. Temek's eyes are brown, as is his hair. He is 4 foot 2 inches tall and weighs 88 pounds. Temek has 6 life points. He prefers light armor when he can find it, and his favorite weapons are the short sword or the short bow. Temek has a strength of 9, dexterity of 9, constitution 11, charisma 6, intelligence 10, and wisdom 10. Description Temek is short of stature, 
but he stands out in a room due to his outgoing attitude. He has brown hair and brown eyes. He does not have a beard, which, along with his size, makes him seem almost childlike at times to the taller races. He prefers armor that allows him to move quietly. Personality Friendly and carefree around his comrades, but with a dark side that comes out when there is danger, Temek has a noticeable split personality. Strangely, Temek does not later remember the acts of violence that his other self, the Knife, visits on his enemies, and it is this behavior that has a tendency to unnerve or frighten even those he is closest to. In general, Temek is not knowledgeable in many matters, and additionally, he tends to act more on impulse rather than thinking things through. Combat. When pushed into a corner, Temek's eyes roll into the back of his head and he attacks potential threats with abandon. Left to his own devices, his attack patterns are vicious and random, while his methods tend to be unusually cruel. This hidden side of his personality relishes in punishing evil at any length to the point of going too far. Even in this state, however, he knows who his friends are, and he fights to protect them. Homeland Iron Realm Temek was befriended by the dwarf Stockholm while wandering the many tunnels of the Iron Realm. Their long journeys and conversations together are his earliest and happiest memories. One night, goblins visited their camp and enslaved them. The two fought well as a team, but they were badly outnumbered. The goblins put them to work in the mines, doing hard labor. Over the years of horrible abuse and captivity, Temek's natural optimism began to starve in him, and more and more, his dark side began to come out. Stockholm worked hard to keep Temek sane and to keep him focused on positive thoughts, of which there were, admittedly, fewer and fewer. At last, Temek and his friend did find a way to escape by enlisting the aid of a human fighter, Solus, and several other captives who would form their party, their tribe. Family. If Temek ever had a mother and a father, he doesn't remember it now. Stockholm was his first true friend who helped him pull through in the goblin mines. He considers their new party to be his family now. Their escape together from the pits and the bond it has formed has begun to feed the optimistic spirit in Temek once again. The humans and the elf he considers to be his surrogate brothers and sisters, and he treats them as such. The women he finds attractive, if tall, and he is not afraid to flirt with them, which brings mixed results. All of the others are learning to look on him, fondly however, and tend to be inspired by his bright spirit. Temek shudders to think what may happen when they discover the true depth of his dark side, but as is his way, he generally tends to ignore the threat which lies just beneath his skin in the hopes that it may simply go away. Current Temek is satisfied to be among people again and spends his time getting to know the others in his party. Perhaps naively, he feels that further danger is far away and that the happy, journeying days with new companions this time have returned at last. Tribal Matters
It is 1.20 p.m. on the third day of Primaris. The characters are on level 1 Alpha. In the Crystal Room, the characters took sufficient sleep the night before, and yet their 24 hours of recuperation was interrupted, and therefore counts for naught. The characters are in need of food and water on the third day, but following a heated discussion between Amazar and Stockholm, the group decides to forego both food and water in order to stretch their supplies longer. Goblin meat, as it turns out, is poison. The available spells are as follows. Amazar, Hovering Disc, Treya, Aura against evil. Life points are at maximum, except for the following characters. Solus, 5 out of 8. Stockholm, 5 out of 10. Len, 4 out of 6. Temek, negative 2 out of 6. Bardar, 4 out of 7. Amazar, 2 out of 4. Iona, 1 out of 4. Kana, negative 4 out of 4. Paola, 3 out of 4. Once the group has gathered their supplies, they agree that they cannot stay in the crystal room. Amazar and Kailana believe that the teleportation crystal is charged down since it has lost its color, but neither knows for sure how it is recharged or even if they are correct about any of its properties. We move then, says Solus, to the moss lichen room. We must make it as long as we can there, in the hopes that we will all recover. The group makes use of Amazar's lantern in order to move quickly in the dark. Bardar at first hesitates at the door before removing the spikes, for he recalls that one of the hex blades enchanted it. Yet after some consideration, the door appears safe, and so he goes to work removing the spikes with his small hammer. As the group prepares to move Kana and Tamek, Len moves forward and says, It might be too dangerous. Stockholm lowers his head and says, I'm sorry, lass, but we must. When moving unconscious characters, there's a 50% chance to open their wounds. First, Temek, requiring a high number. Ooh. A natural 100. Because of this exceptional score, I grant Temek an additional life point. And Kana? A 63. Her body tolerates the move. Once they have entered the Moss Lichen Room, Bardar secures the door with spikes once again. Amazar then extinguishes the lantern. He relights it only briefly to facilitate work by the others during their stay. The group begins their 24-hour period of recuperation. Also during this time, Treya and Kailana are able to construct spellbooks for themselves. They have already recorded spells on the parchment given by Kana, but now they are able to weave these pages together along with a number of blank pages in order to create something sturdier and more practical. The thread they create from strands of their own hair, wound together and braided through the spine for strength. For a needle, they use a small pick of a similar shape, obtained from Paola's collection of rogue's tools. 
Trey and Kana also use the time they have to carefully disassemble the black spellbooks of the Hexblades, for they are able to reuse the covers of these books as their own. While handling these items, Treya casts upon herself aura against evil as a precaution in hopes that this will hasten the dissipation of any dark energy remaining. From the Hexblade's books, they put aside the rest of the pages, for they appear to contain spells and thus merit further scrutiny. Roaming creature checks until 10 p.m. At 8.20, outside there is a strange buzzing noise. Treya, Kailana, and Echo ready themselves. The three women are silent and wait patiently. Yet no attempt against the door is made. At 9.20, another sound from outside. A scuttling. The sound is unnerving, but again, no attempt is made on the door. The group makes it to 10 o'clock p.m. without further incident. As the night watch approaches, Len makes time to pray to her god before the bone cross. Father, it is right that you have punished us. We have received your lesson and your light. We will endure in your name. Amen. During the third day, Echo and Kailana have completed their crude clothing. Stockholm has managed to make some torches by splitting Len's club with his axe. From the club he has created two torches. He is able to finish these using strips of cloth procured from the dead goblins. These he soaks in oil from the wizard Amazar. Amazar has expended a total of one flask today. It is decided that Echo shall take the entire night watch herself a full eight hours, which will grant Treya and Kailana the opportunity to sleep and refresh themselves for their spell work on the morrow. Through the night, Roaming Creatures checks for Echo. The night goes uneventfully as the group passes into the fourth day of Primaris. It is now 6 a.m. and Echo will take sleep for the following eight hours, whilst the others go about the day. From here forward, the group will be suffering a minus one on hits, damage, and movement because they have foregone water. Len tends the wounded, though she is able to keep her work light that she might recover as well. At 6 a.m., Treya, Amazar, and Kailana drop any spells they might have memorized, and instead, each memorize Reader of Magic in order to get a closer look at the Goblin spellbooks. Each spellbook contains two spells for a total of six in all. With care, Amazar, Kailana, and Treya are able to separate the spells from the books and as a result are able to salvage six Magic Scrolls. The Magic Scrolls are as follows. For Treya, Reader of Magic, and Mind Charm, Lesser. For Kailana, Reader of Magic, and Sea Magic. For Amazar, Reader of Magic, and Door Denial. Treya has a chance to copy Mind Charm, Lesser, 
into her own spellbook. To do so, she must make a successful roll versus her intelligence. Nat 20, that is a failure since she needed an 11 or less. She may make another attempt at this when she reaches level 2. Kaylana attempts to transcribe Sea Magic into her spellbook. She succeeds with a 6. As she does so, the Sea Magic Scroll becomes engulfed in flames and vanishes. However, Kaylana will have the option to memorize this spell on a future day. Amazar attempts to copy Door Denial into his own spellbook. He needs a 15 or less. 11. He has succeeded. The Door Denial scroll is likewise disintegrated in the process. For those scrolls that were not transcribed, they will remain available to their owners. From now on, Treya, Kaylana, or Amazar may cast from those scrolls at any time. Of course, doing so destroys the scroll forever. The three spellcasters have exhausted their spell for today, since Reader of Magic was required for researching the Hexblade's spellbooks. Upon awakening from sleep, Iona and Paola are badly confused. They seem upset and disoriented. Barda goes to them and takes them aside, carefully recounting to them the events of the day before. The two of them seem reassured by Bardar's words. They calm down considerably before taking their positions cross-legged upon the floor. Kaylana and Treya stay fully prepared in case danger comes, and they keep an eye out as the others rest. Roaming creatures. The maze is quiet, and the group is undisturbed until 2 p.m. Each member of the group who is in need recovers one life point for the 24 hours of uninterrupted rejuvenation. Temek returns to zero, and then shortly after rises to one point, coming at last out of his unconsciousness. Stockholm is visibly gladdened. There you go, lad, said Stockholm, taking a little nap on us, are ya? Temek smiles weakly, clearly glad to see his friend. Aunt Paola, as she works her tired muscles, realizes that her wounds will no longer slow her either. Kana slowly continues her recovery. The group summons their willpower to avoid food and water for the rest of the day. Even here, in the Moss Lichen Room, Stockholm warns them that the supply of food is limited. There are four days worth of food in the Moss Lichen Room. Because they have the time to do so, the group spends the day harvesting all of the food that they may, and packing it away into their backpacks, leaving only enough upon the walls that the supply may regrow at a future time. The group continues from 2 o'clock till 10 o'clock, waiting out the day in recuperation. At 8 o'clock upon the fourth day, the group can hear the sound of someone trying the knob. The door does not immediately open, for Bardar has spiked it shut. Paola, Echo, and Kailana look nervously amongst each other, and then to Treya. They're speaking, whispers Echo. Treya pauses for only a moment before responding. Elves. The Iron Round. Copyright A. Lenzo is an extreme reimagining of the fantasy setting and can be found at theironrealm.com and theironrealm.blogspot.com.
Maze Master's Wisdom, Wisdom, Wisdom. I thought it would be interesting today to talk a bit about my inspiration for the Iron Realm. Of course, it goes without saying that back in the day, fantasy role-playing was my all-time favorite, as it still is now, and as I'm sure it is for all of you. Of course, I had the desire to run a solitaire game, and when the question came up as to what setting would be ideal, of course, I must admit, nothing beats the old-school dungeon crawl. I imagined a large maze where characters would have to go room to room, searching for an escape, confronting creatures, and finding treasures. If this had been a standard game, certainly there would have been many an interlude, with the group running back and forth to town, buying equipment, researching at the library, and other such horribly boring affairs. On the other hand, I considered, if the maze was massive, the group could continue to adventure for a much longer time frame, and yet, what adventuring party would avoid returning to the safety of town each time the going got tough? It was then that I envisioned a world that was itself an endless maze. There would be no above ground. There would be no safe haven. The entire plane of existence, one endless maze. Life would be lived from beginning to end within the settings of this endless realm. I realized that the kinds of humans and demi-humans who would arise from such an environment would necessarily have to be hard, forced by their experiences to become the best in a kill or be killed environment. Perhaps this was the first inspiration for an iron realm where only strength Cunning and extreme teamwork would prevent the adventuring party, nay, the adventuring tribe, from perishing. I began to very much like the idea of having a character tribe, for it seemed to fit the setting well. In other words, a small number of people banded together against the dangers of an underground wilderness where everything that exists is hostile or otherwise wishes to devour you. I came up with the idea that humans and demi-humans should be rare in the extreme. For indeed, if they were not, one could expect to find cities and towns underground, and with such havens being common, I would be returned again to the original problem, the problem of characters finding extended safe havens away from adventure, away from the constant thrill of the dungeon crawl experience. As I extended the idea of a character tribe, I was inspired by tales of Paleolithic humans who lived thousands of years ago, having to band against the elements together, always on the edge of starvation and thirst, yet calling upon their combined strength to survive. For in those days, it was only the survival of the tribe, not the individual, which mattered. For the tribe was your survival, and your tribe was your identity. From these early imaginings sprung the inspiration for the Iron Realm Podcast. I thank you for joining my imaginings and, through our storytelling, paying some respect to all of those who came before us. Where living from night to night in the dark was a reality and where every opportunity for food and water was in the deepest and most significant sense of victory.
You have been listening to the Iron Realm. If you would care to express your appreciation for the show in the form of an email message, write to the Iron Realm Podcast at gmail.com. If you are a skilled illustrator and would like to donate some of your work, both Iron Realm characters and illustrated scenes from the show, for a possible future Iron Realm written guide, submissions are gladly accepted. Please consider submitting your original artwork as a donation to the Iron Realm cause. Finally, support the show by sharing with friends and family so that the legend of the Iron Realm can live on. Thank you all for your support. Flashing back to prior days, during which she walked amongst her people, Treya is now faced with the possibility of being reunited with them once more. But are the elves who have come indeed friends? Or rather hostile? Or perhaps something darker than elves? Not yet suspected or imagined. I am your Maze Master, Abel Enzo, and I thank you for your presence tonight in the Dark Realm. Return next time to the tribe that dwells within the Iron Realm. And as always, play hard or go home! Iron Realm! Until we meet again. <laughs>